Okay, tonight, we're going to do it on a walk in the Spirit. Now, some of you romantic girls are like, oh, a walk in the clouds, or a walk on the, yeah, all these different movies. Walk to remember. How many of you guys have suffered through those girl movies? Yeah. So anyway, there is a walk in the Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about walking in the Spirit. I'm talking about the walk that you do in the Spirit. Now, I want you to look up Luke 11, verse 13. If I was going to tell you the most dangerous prayer you can pray in the Bible, it comes from Luke 11:13. 13. It's an interesting verse, theologically. Excuse your foot. Okay, Luke 11:13. 13, it tells us that if your fathers being evil will not trick you, if they'll not play games with you, if they'll not switch something out and give you something evil then it's a guarantee that your Heavenly Father will, what? Give you what? You can guarantee that if you're asking God for something, He's not going to switch out and give you something evil. You know, some people think, well, I might get something evil. You know, the authority of this verse rests on, it depends on who you're asking for it from. Now, if you're sitting in an Indian wigwam in a sweat house doing New Age stuff, you might get something crazy. But I guarantee that if you're in your dorm room and you're praying and you're saying, Lord, I want everything you've got, I guarantee you, you'll have something holy come on your life. And I found out that from people that if you pray this prayer, God, I want everything you've got, you'll be shocked what happens to your life. It'll change you. You know, every one of you, I ask you, what would you pray when you were 9 or 10 years of age? And you'll tell me, man, there was just something in me that wanted everything God had. And that's where you find yourself going on into the deeper things of God. Now, a lot of you more mature ones that have had it for years and, and have just said, man, I've gone out into the deeper walk. You're looking around and said, that's for them. But I want you to look at this verse. This verse says it's written to Christians because it says if you ask your heavenly father, he's not your father to your Christian. So this verse isn't saying, hey, you ask for the Holy Spirit if you're not saved. This verse is for Christians. I think this is an interesting concept to think that as Christians, we can ask for the Holy Spirit. That kind of goes against our theology. You know, when we get saved, we have the Holy Spirit abiding in us. But do you know what we're going into tonight? There is a realm of the Spirit that is without measure. So I challenge you, if that for years you've been walking in the realm of the Spirit, there's more. You never reach the limits. There's a realm, if you've never tasted the deeper things of God, I'm telling you, go on. It's good water. It tastes good. But it's a realm here where God is telling you, He said, I'm asking you to ask for the Holy Spirit. Now notice that, that ask, that seek and the knock. If you look those words up in the green, they're in the present perfect tense. That means you keep on doing it. It means you ask. Good to see you now. And you keep on asking. You seek and you keep on seeking. You knock. Isn't the English beautiful? It spells out ask. Ask, seek, knock, A-S-K. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you ask, and you seek, and you knock, and notice the parable above it. It says that if you've got a friend, and he doesn't want to get out of bed because his kids are all tucked in, it says you beat on that door until you get him out of bed. That's a pretty strong form of knocking, isn't it? I think that's interesting that that's the context that God puts it in here of asking for the Holy Spirit. That it's your prerogative. You're the one who does it. So I'm looking at this verse, and I hear so many people say this thing to me. Well, you just kind of kick back and you say, God, if you want me to have it, you can just give it to me. You can just force it on me. You know what? You don't deserve it with that attitude. There's something in the persistence of asking. There's something in the saying, God, I want it, that it fixes something right on the inside of us. He's not going to force it on you. It's very clear in this verse 
that it's a continual, present tense, asking God for saying, God, I want everything you've got. It's holy ground. Have you ever felt that time in your life where you feel kind of empty, you know, just totally dry? You know, that you don't have much power or you're faking your spiritual walk. How many of you, you know, have gotten into that at higher pain? You know, you can put that smile, you can just do the things and no one knows it. But yet at the same time, you're reading your Bible about stuff that we've not experienced. I mean, I've been around this for years and I still am reading stuff in my Bible that I have not experienced in my life. And we get on this roller coaster and we're up one day and we're down the next. And it's like from camp to camp or retreat to retreat. And it's revival to revival. And there's up times and there's down times and there's no consistency in life. You know what? I'm going to tell you, sometimes you feel like that Matthew 23, 27 where Jesus says, you know what? I open you up and I look on the inside and on the outside you look good. But on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. And you say, that's me. That's my spiritual life. That's how I feel inside. I'm a spiritual boneyard. Well, I'm going to tell you, God's answer is the same thing he did in Ezekiel. Remember when he went to the valley of the dry bones? And he used his breath and he breathed into them. Now look up this verse in John 20, verse 21. Look what God does to dry bones. If you're dry, you're a perfect potential candidate for this. And do not ask me to explain this verse. You know how you, I wish I could have a snapshot of Jesus' life for a minute. This is one of those moments I would have liked to see how he did this. If I saw this on TV, it might look a little spooky. Look in John 20, verse 21 and 22. Jesus is leaving them. It's his last words. They're already Christians. They believe in his resurrection. You see that in the chapter before. And then in John 20, it says, And Jesus went and he breathed on them the Holy Spirit. And that's the coolest thing in the world to think dry bones and God takes our life and he breathes the Holy Spirit. What an encounter with the Spirit that he comes up to us and he breathes. Now I've wondered about this passage. Did he go up to each person and get in their face and just breathe breath into each one of them's face? Or did he just have the whole group collectively and he breathed on the whole group? I mean, that kind of sounds pretty, yeah, TBN-ish, I don't know, it kind of bothers me, I don't like that verse, you know, and you're looking and that's, that's just not the comfortable way, I kind of like by myself in my room on my knees, but this is interesting how Jesus here, he actually, he did some kind of transfer of the Holy Spirit into their life, y'all, I'm telling you, God has that for your life to breathe on you, the Holy Spirit, you know what the Lord spoke to me tonight for this group, let everyone else argue about it, you live it, You know, I've always said this. I have seen, I could write you books on the fakes and hypocrisy I've seen in this particular thing right here. I've seen so much deception. I've seen kooks. I've seen freaks. I could could write books all day long on it. You know what I'm going to tell you? If the whole world does it wrong, you do it right. Because somebody's got to do it right. If there's a verse in the Bible, there are clear scriptures on the Holy Spirit. You take them and you put them in your life and you say, I'm going to have integrity. I'm not going to fake this stuff. It's going to be real, and I will do it right with my life. And that's what the Lord's saying here. I don't care about the fakes. I don't care what they're doing. I don't answer for them on Judgment Day. But with my life, what do I do with what he's saying with clear verses in the Bible? Right here, he takes our life, and he takes it to a deeper experience, and he breathes the Holy Spirit on our life. You know, John 3, 8 is going to be our theme verse. And I love this verse. It's a crazy verse. It represents our life. John 3, 8. All right, where does it say you must be born again? John 3, 7. You better know. 
will ship you home off the mission field. Remember when I was in the Philippines, they said, if you cannot tell us where you're born again, we're putting you all back on the plane, we're not going to pay for you. Lester Sumrall was always kind of a stickler. Okay, John 3, 8. It says, the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it came from, and you do not know where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Does that describe your life? You don't know where you came from. You don't know where you're going. You just, <laughs> that, that, that everyone that is, see, your fathers and dads are making fun of y'all, but really you're just blown by the Spirit here. It says that you hear the sound of it. You know the presence. You know there's actually something guiding your life, but it blows you. You don't know where you're going. You don't know where you've come from, but it's a movement by the Spirit. One thing I like about it is the fact that the Holy Spirit actually makes you go somewhere. Aren't you glad our life is a gospel of going? I'm glad it's not a thing of knowing or intellectually just, but it's actually where, where he blows our life and he takes us where he wants us to go. Now, I don't know if y'all are like me, but do you ever dream of just complete freedom? I hate heights, so it's really hard for me to think about it. But when I think of this first, I think about a hot air balloon. And I would be the one that has the rope tied to the hot air balloon. And heaven forbid my brother would be down below laughing as he cuts me loose, you know. But that, that is really, you know, I'll deliver you from heights, fear of heights, yeah. But when I see this verse, that's what I think about is where literally that you're like a hot air balloon and you have no control where you're coming or where you're going. I read a horrible guidepost story about this lady who, you know, they use them behind boats, you know, they lift them off. Well, hers got separated. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's a great, great story. But she said for a moment there as she was gliding, you know, that, I don't know what you call that, you guys know. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, she just took off and she went up so high she went up. Yeah, it was really bad. She wore the planes or something. But anyway, then she came back down and I mean, she did a lot of praying. The Lord set her down. Yeah, the wind stopped and she dropped. I mean, a lot of things happened to this woman. I think of this verse with this woman. But she said for a while there was freedom there like you've never had. I mean, she thought it was her last rod. You know, this is kind of like our last rod. Do y'all dream sometimes that you can fly? At night I dream in, in the fun of just thinking to have the freedom that you could fly and go anywhere you want. There's a total freedom. There's, there's something in man that longs for no one to control you. Absolutely nothing holding you back. No ropes. Cut it loose. Let's go all the way. And so there's something in you, and it fights for that kind of freedom. To be totally windblown. I'm going to tell you, the only place you can get it is with the Spirit. The only place you want it, it was the Spirit. You sure don't want yourself to be in control there. You want where the Lord has you, and He has a direction for your life. That He's taking you somewhere. I think some wise preacher said Sunday that we look at our spiritual growth as if it's a piece of pie. As if it's a certain portion. And there's limits to it, and there's only a certain amount. That's why one youth group will get in a fight if someone leaves that youth group and gets in another. That's why people are jealous. Well, my one of them in our church, because we look at life as if it's a piece of pie, as if it has boundaries. But look in John 3, verse 34. Skip down a little bit further. And it says, He gives the Spirit without measure in our life. Man, that's an, um, man, you could just think on that scripture all day long that he gives us a spirit without any kind of a measure, without any kind of limitations. Y'all, quit arguing. Do we have it? Do we not? We can all go into an experience with the Holy Spirit that is deeper than any of us have experienced before. It is without measure and without limitations. I have not found all there is in the depths of God. 
you want a crazy verse, look in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16. I'm just throwing that in. Where it talks about that your spirit can search out the deep things of God. And your spirit's the only thing that can know the deeper things. So the spirit comes in, and we're always trying to measure the spirit. But life is more like that river, where you get in that river and you go down the river. And you jump in. You remember with Kathy and all her, Christians here, all her marine boyfriends, you know that time when we were all on the river? Anyway, so we're going down this river, and, uh, and you float in. It's like the river will take you. It's like an adventure. It's amazing what goes on all the way down. And that's much like the Holy Spirit is. It's like it takes you down, and you're floating down that river for the adventures of what God will do with your life. Okay, so look at this verse. Go back to our key verse, John 3, verse 8. And it says, you do not know where you're going. I want you to say to yourself, I'm going to have to let go of control. That fear of letting go. I mean, it's petrifying. You know, for the most part, it's not a theological difference we have on the Holy Spirit. It's a flat thing of, I do not want to let go of control. I mean, that scares me. Do not do that to my life. Do not ruin my reputation. I have worked years to build this cruddy reputation. <laughs> yeah, do not, do not wreck me. And, and so you look at this first, but you look very clearly here. You do not know where you're going. And this is where we're not paying attention to this verse. You know, I want to tell you something. This is not me leading you. This is not a group leading you. This verse is saying the Holy Spirit himself will lead you. And you know what? He will cause trouble for your life. I mean, Roark today was saying, it is a difficult life. I promise you, if you follow Jesus and who he really is, he said, you will have trouble, and I'm leading you to a difficult life. Easy yoke, difficult life. It's going to be interesting what happens here. So it's a leading by the Holy Spirit. But you know that urge when you feel, you're being saved. We all got saved the same way. We're sitting on a bench, and you start feeling them give the altar call. And you start trying to feel yourself get up, you know? And you tighten your grip. Isn't that how all of you were? You know, I remember finally I got up and ran down First Baptist, you know. And, and you feel that urge, like something's dragging you to the altar. Well, the same thing with the Holy Spirit. It's like he leads you, and he gives you this urge, and he's telling you, go deeper. Well, I know that what I got was sanctioned by God. I know it was the Holy Spirit, because I received it in First Baptist Church. Brownwood, Texas is where I was saved, where I was water baptized. And what happened to our church was they decided to have lay renewals. And they got these lay renewals going in the churches, and people started repenting of their sins. Our music minister's life got saved. I mean, it was just glorious what was happening. I mean, miracles were happening. People were telling testimonies. You know what? I hated it. I couldn't stand what was happening in that church. I couldn't believe I was dignified. I did not want to be where these people cried, they weep, they were wrecking a good church. You know, there was something about first, it was just the cool church to be in. And I realized that. As a kid, I realized I'm in the best church there is in Broward. You know, ours is the biggest. You look at the outside, those columns, you know I'm in the right church. And so I would look at that church and I was proud of who I was. And so people would start trying to work on my hard little heart and try to get me to go. I didn't like them sitting around in circles playing kumbaya and crying and trying to hug me. You know, the only days they hug you is when they're having an emotional experience with a guitar. And so you're sitting there and you, and with these people and I could feel myself resisting the Holy Spirit. You know how this, long this went on in my life? For one year, I put up fights. I was against it. I threw fits with my parents. I theologically was like, we will not go here. 
And you know, my parents did the best thing they could for me. They just left me alone, and I watched their lives, and I got jealous because I thought, I don't want anyone having more than I have of the Lord. And they just kind of lived the walk in front of me. And so inside of me, after a while, I realized what I was wrestling with is I didn't want to lose my dignity. I knew somehow that if I go this direction, I'm going to lose my dignity. I'm going to lose that reputation. I'm going to lose what it is that makes people accept you. And I remember struggling. And you'll have the same thing in your life where you'll sit there and you'll say, I'm going to weigh it out which direction I'm going to go. Because I promise you, I'm not trying to entice you in it. It will take you in a totally different direction in your life. First Baptist Church, Gatesville, Texas. I was on the bench by myself. And I finally <laughs> yielded my heart to the Lord. And I'm going to tell you what my prayer was. I told God, I'm going to quit fighting you. I said, I want everything you've got. And at that moment, the Holy Spirit came on my life. And it filled me. And it, I don't know what it is about it, but it takes you off that spiritual roller coaster. And it does something to your life. It puts you floating down that river in a way of adventure that you could never believe. It's like God says, you give up the, you give up the world and the, and, and the pleasure of it. And he said, I'll give you something you cannot believe. And so you're looking at this place of this resistance. That's why I like the hardest head, the one on the campus that's fighting us the hardest, the one that looks at us and say, this is the cult. Because you know what? I was that person. I was the one that fought it the hardest and resisted it only to fill the Lord and start searching the verses and saying, Lord, what is it? I want you to look at Acts 7, verse 51. There's so many different things you can go do with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not talking about just initially. I'm talking about throughout your life. In Acts 7, 51, it says, you stiff-necked people. What a great adjective. You stiff-necked. I guess that's kind of how it is. Have you ever seen when somebody gets mad about it? Their neck gets kind of stiff and their hair stands up. They should say, you stiff-necked, hair-sticking-up type people. Why are you always resisting the Holy Spirit? The verses also, other places say that we grieving, we disrespecting, we blaspheming, which, that's an interesting one, and you quenching. You know, I think sometimes because there's so much freedom with the Holy Spirit that sometimes we're, we're disrespectful. Have you ever had a real move of the Holy Spirit in a service, and there's something in you you just want to get in the flesh and you know, pop the person in front of you or tell, you know, and you start disrespecting. I would tell you, don't get so comfortable with him that you don't realize that he is holy. It is holy ground where you respect him. Secondly, in Matthew 12, verse 43, it talks about this period of time where God drives out. I think it's one spirit, the strong man. I think that's where it was in, in Matthew 12, verse 43 through 45. But the scary part of this verse is, When it's driven out, it leaves you unoccupied and empty. Did you know being empty is one of the most dangerous things in your life? The verse doesn't say, man, there was some bad stuff still left. It says they were just empty. And it left room for something to come in your life. I'm going to tell you, this is what I've seen with the Holy Spirit. When God makes the offer to you in your life, the timing of God is unbelievable. He makes the offer at the exact right time your life needs the power or the strength of it. And when I've seen at this point people rejected at this point, it is the worst thing that can happen in their life. I'm not trying to scare you. I am telling you stories of people that I have loved like crazy. 
and I've watched them put a resistance up in the spiritual realm right when God was trying to do something with them, and it totally wrecks their life. There's a lady right now that her husband's in a very prominent position, in, and she sat there with my parents at the exact same time this was happening in Lay Renewals with my parents at First Baptist. And she received the Lord in a way. She had fought depression all her life, and Mom's testimony was unbelievable to her. As a child, I would watch her pray. I would watch that woman, that depression left. She started worshiping God, and she got so happy. But you know what? She was hiding it from her husband. Her husband walked in one day, and he told that woman, he said, I'm forcing you out of this, and you will walk away from it. I saw that lady the other day. You talk about seven times worse. It's like depression upon depression. She clamped down. She did. She turned away. She obeyed. You know, I always say it in this particular incident. Sapphira submitted to Ananias, and God blessed her, didn't he? I'm joking. <laughs> There's a time, and it's with your walk with God, there are places that only you and God can go. And at that point, what had happened in her heart when she shut that thing down, it was a point in her life I have never seen that woman the same. It was a point in her life where God had her, and her face shows her pain. I want you to look at Hebrews 6, 4 through 6. People worry about this verse all the time, and they think, oh my gosh, it's talking about losing your salvation. It is not talking about losing your salvation. It is talking about exactly what we're talking about here, of going into the deeper things. If you're from Brownwood, Hebrews 6, 4, 6, it's our phone number digits. It's easy to remember. But it talks about in Hebrews that once you've been enlightened with the heavenly gift, you've been made partakers of the Holy Spirit. You've tasted of the good word of God. Oh my gosh, this is a glorious verse if you read it positive. And you've been part of the powers of the age to come. Isn't that amazing that God is telling us, read this positively. We can have powers that aren't even of our dispensation. Powers that belong in the next age, we can partake of them right now in our generation. And at this moment, Hebrews 6, 4, 6, if you retreat, there are no back doors. I don't know what it is, but you can come to a certain place with your walk or intimacy <laughs> with the Holy Spirit. And you know what? People say, I've seen them. I've already tried that. It doesn't work. I'm not going back. You can get a person that hasn't gone into this, and they'll be in the club, and they'll be drinking. I'll go in there and tell them, hey, you need more of the... Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. You'll come back. But there's a certain point that you go, and this is why I warn you, do not go into this slap happily or foolishly or because your roommate's doing it. It's the cool thing to do, and we've got us a little group. Because one day you're going to walk this out by yourself, and when you make this decision, this is a decision you make for your life. I'm going to walk with the Holy Spirit. There's going to be no retreats in my life. This is not just my glory days. This is something that I've committed to with my life. I cannot explain this verse, but that is why I'm telling you, this is something where you make up your mind. I am walking this walk out, and I will finish the course. This is a lifetime decision, and I do want what the Lord has. It's strategic timing that the Lord offers you everything that he has. And it's also the most exciting time that you can live. You know, in, in Mark 2, verse 21, it says, Old wineskins burst. You know, there's something inside of you that when this happens to you, it just busts wide open. It bursts. It bursts something in you. And you can't patch up things between the old and the new. It's like a whole new garment. You can't go back to ever being who you were. It's funny. I was going to tell you, 
what the Lord told me, and you'll see me a lot of times back off from you and be reluctant. But I was sitting in Newman parking lot out there, and a bunch of my friends call me up, and they tell me, man, man, you got to come pray for Martha. I mean, she's a senior. She's about to graduate. She just resisted. You know, she's hung around with us forever, ever, but, you know, just stubbornness. And they said, you're persuasive. We know you can, you know, you can get her to come over the edge. Well, you know, poor Martha was 12 to 1, but Martha was so stubborn. 12 weren't even a hard number for her. I mean, she was, she could be alone on a football field and, and stand her ground. So anyway, they were pounding her, you know, just great college kids, you know. So I was putting my black Chevy 1962 into, you know, I was going to drive, no. So I was sitting there. You know, they just kind of say, man, you're the one to do it. All of a sudden, as I started that car, the Lord said, don't you ever dishonor me. And he said, you never act like you're a salesman trying to push something as if that person is doing me a favor by receiving more of me. And I knew at that point it was a lifetime thing he was telling me then. I'm not here peddling anything. I'm telling you, this is the best friend. This is holy ground. It's the best thing, but I guarantee you, I will not dishonor the Lord to have you in any sort of a way as pride of, and to dishonor him by you in any way thinking you're doing God any sort of service to receive what he freely gives you. And it's a total different presentation. I said, I refuse to. I said, I will not put that kind of pressure. I prayed, then I went over and I told Martha, I said, I will never, ever do that to you. I said, your attitude is frightening to me. Within minutes, she went, and by herself, the Lord just opened her up, and the fullness came on her life. From four years of pushing and prodding and using a cattle prod, I'm going to tell you, it is not something that is for fun or a club or anything. When Jesus said, you can blaspheme me, you can say any matter against me and be forgiven on this earth, but if you speak blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, you'll not be forgiven in this age or the age to come. I do not pretend to know what that means. But I can tell you that verse is telling us there is holy ground here to be treated with respect. You know, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, it says, what is the picture of the church in the last days? And it says, in the last days that people will hold to a form of godliness. That shows, it doesn't say godlessness. It doesn't say that the church will be a godless institution. It says they will hold to a form of godliness, but there's one thing the church will deny. And what is it the church will deny? The power. And that's what we have. We have programs, but no power. We have institutions, but we don't have the power of God on us. I'm going to tell you right now, we're going to switch gears and we're going to talk about, I do not want you to end up with this because this verse says that walking with God is an adventure. It's not a walk in the clouds. It's better. It's a walk in the Spirit like you can never believe. Now, in John 3, verse 8, I want you to pay special attention. Have you noticed that I think that what God is trying to tell us in this verse is He likes to surprise us? I think He likes it. I think He likes to totally mess with my head. He gives me surprises all the time. I want to tell you, if you ever get into the realms of the Spirit of walking with him. At one point, I was like, every year of my life has been an adventure. Now I'm lying. Every month of my life is an adventure. It has gotten to where now every day of my life, y'all, it's getting to the hour. I mean, I'm like, it can't be 12 layers deep all the time. I mean, I'm looking and going, okay, we're translating the book into Arabic. Thanks. Okay, I released the thing on the Spanish thing. Got my book cover in. I mean, anybody over here, we're like, what are we living in the last days? I mean, it's like we're running this thing and it's like we're trying to steer this ship because God is doing amazing things. 
be part of what he's doing on the earth. The Spirit is the fuel. He's the one that keeps us going. He said it's to our advantage that Jesus goes away. Living in the land of the miraculous. I mean, it's just like, they're incredible stories. You know, the hardest part of preaching young is you don't have examples. You know, you're always having to borrow someone else. That's why I take you to mission fields where you'll get killed and God's the only one that can get you out alive. (laughs) Then you've got some great stories, you know, and you're putting the spirit into work. It's kind of like a spiritual greenhouse. You remember David Hefner told his mom, I've been stationed in Germany, was in Vietnam for three years and she never knew. (laughs) I mean, that's our strategy for the mission field. Going where your parents will never know. You know, poor Kevin and Rachel, they do high school kids. They have to answer to parents. Even clear down to children's church. Give me the orphans. I want the ones who no parents ever call us. We don't take cell phones. We go where only God's with us. You know what? I've spent eight years with a mom who didn't know if there's a God. I guarantee you, I'm not faking this. I want it where God is so on our life. We feel his presence and his movement and what he's doing. Unusual stories, what he does. Story after story. You know, you'll meet unusual people. I was shopping at Kroger's. So I had my basket, I had it full. I'm going down the lane. And all of a sudden, y'all, I hated doing this. And sometimes I'm just not all, whatever. You're flowing in the spirit. You shouldn't do that when you're driving. I'm flowing in the spirit. And all of a sudden, this old lady, I hit her so hard in her basket. I about knocked that woman. Clear. I looked at that woman. I said, I am so sorry. I mean, it was a supernatural hit. So anyway... Really, I, this is true. This is exactly the story. So anyway, I hit this woman. Okay, I apologize. We pick up everything. I go to the next row. I'm going down the other lane. I am telling you, I have a front end with this woman, and I hit her a second time. The apology's not as near as meaningful at this point, so I look at her, and I say, I am so sorry. Kroger is not like this in Brownwood. I keep going, and no lie to you, in produce, I about knocked the woman over. I hit her a third time. I stuck out my hand and I said, woman, I am supposed to meet you. I'm Angela. Who are you? And she said, I am Vanetta Copeland's prayer partner. Are you saved? And I go, "Uh, yes, ma'am. Do you have the Holy Spirit? Yes, ma'am. So anyway, she goes, then we'll be friends. That 70-something-year-old woman became my friend for four years and prayed me out of ever trouble. Now, if God wants you to meet, isn't it funny how your angels steer you? It's not clumsiness. They steer you into who they want you to meet. This is flowing in the Spirit. That lady was crazy. Isn't it amazing? God said, in Kroger's, and it took three whammings. Y'all, I came back to Brownwood again. I was driving, and this lady rear-ended me. Wham! I get out. There's no damage. We threw our arms around each other. I've never seen this woman in my life. I go, we must be destined to be friends. And that lady and I are friends to this day. It's just kind of like she's always like, I'm the one that hit you. It's just amazing. (laughs) And I just like, you know, it's just the Lord. No no damage to her car. She about knocked me into traffic. But it it was amazing how God puts you together. So God will have you meet unusual people. He will give you unusual provision on your life. Do you remember poor college students? Anybody relate? We were getting Chateau movie tickets for a dollar and we'd get a coupon out of the phone book and get them for half price for 50 cents each to the thing. (laughs) Then when nobody was looking we were going to the trash can and getting out all the popcorn things. You're not hungry then. And and you get free refills. 
Yeah, it's good. We would take all of our friends to the movie with all the popcorn they wanted. Hey, for three bucks, I'm impressed. So, unusual protection, unusual provision. Matthew 17, 27, you know how Jesus got provision? Was the coin in the fish's mouth. Okay, that's how poor we were. All right, so during this time, I would start praying for the Lord to provide. That's what I ran out of the house to go get. Before there was K99 radio, my job was to put mother's programs into radio segments. Well, we didn't have enough money to pay for her to be on their radio for an hour, so I was cutting her into 15 minutes. So I had to make everything transition. Well, I didn't have a typewriter. So I was praying, and no kidding, as I was writing those intros, I went out to the trash can. I, I looked everywhere for my little typewriter. There was a typewriter sitting right on top of the dumpster. I mean, this kept going on and on in my life. I'd pray, and I'd run to my dumpster the next morning, and there it'd be. <laughs> and and there was, it was like an anointing on this dumpster thing. I got fishing poles. I got arrowhead collections. Okay, the next thing, y'all, next thing that I prayed for, I'm not kidding you. I, I was going to give this away. The next thing that I prayed for was I wanted a Bible dictionary. I'd seen one in the store. It was a Nelson's. And that's what I told the Lord I wanted. I went, and here it was on the top of the dumpster. Look at this. To my loving husband, Jim Roberts, from your wife, Whippy. <laughs> now, Jim Roberts must not have appreciated the Nelsons thing, and they divorced. I think people were divorcing, and I was getting great stuff. But, y'all, whatever I prayed for, that would be in the dumpster that day. It was like it was overflowing all the time. You know, I, I got a little more spiritual with this. And I told the Lord, I wanted tracks to witness on Halloween because all these little heathens would come out door. The guy who killed all the people on Taco Bell was my neighbor. I mean, we had great. We were always having sniper hunts. I mean, it was a, I'd never, I'd been in the Bible Belt. This was great fun. And so anyway, I prayed and I said, Lord, I need money. I went out to the dumpster and I thought God would have money in an envelope. There was no money. I was like, God, this is Halloween. I've got to go down to the store and buy these tracks. And I'd already picked out what I wanted. Y'all, I looked, and there was a pair of Neiman Marcus earrings with the tag still on them, the, the price. I mean, Neiman Marcus, you can get lots of tracks for one pair of earrings from there. I took that. I drove it clear to Dallas. I told the lady, I'm going to sell this back to you. I found it in the dumpster, and you're going to give me money. I'm going to buy tracks. She gave me cash. I thought she was going to give me a gift card. I go, God, that won't work. She gave me cash. I went, and I bought them. I mean, every time I would go to the dumpster store, I start telling everybody about my anointed dumpster. <laughs> that God has had all this stuff that was happening to my life. And so we had this chiropractor in town. He was a long-haired missionary's kid. He had hair down to hair, earrings, you know, all nine yards. So we'd feed him all the time. He cut his hair and decent and married now. But anyway, Dan goes, I don't believe about that dumpster. I don't believe you can hear God, and I don't believe this is working. This is no lie. I go, Dan, what do you need? I need a couch. I said, let's pray. So I prayed, and I said, Lord, I thank you. You'll give Dan a couch. And, I, you know, I just pray that you'll provide him a couch. I ran out the next morning. There was no couch in the dumpster. I went back to my house, and I was really mad at the Lord. I was like, Lord, when you could have impressed this unbeliever here, you know, this missionary kid, I said, I've seen you do everything with this anointed dumpster. The Lord said it's in his dumpster. No kidding, we would have had to drag it clear across the complex. I went running down there. Y'all, there was the coolest couch in the world on top of his dumpster. It was unbelievable. Came out, and he goes, I go, come here, you've got to see this. And I took him around to where he was, and he goes, it's broken. So I said, get up there. So, you know, 
He makes me lift my hand like I'm a man or something. So we pull that thing out. He sits on it, he jumps up. There is nothing wrong with the couch. I go, you've got to give God credit for that. And I was sitting there thinking, isn't that amazing how God gives you unusual provision in your life? Y'all, who would trade the other life? It is 10 times more fun living the way God does it. He's, he's, he has a crazy sense of humor. Unusual people, unusual provision, unusual purpose. In John 16, 13, we are not tapping into this one through 15. It says he will tell us of things to come. Y'all, I, I, it's hard to believe that God is actually telling us that he will tell us the thing of the future. Unusual purpose in your life, things you couldn't have known otherwise. Unusual protection. We're all of a sudden, you have to have God's protection for what you're doing. You know, crazy stories. You know, I go home, you expect normal parents. I walk in the house, and there's a man with a gun to a woman's head in our pantry, a pistol. This is me just coming home, <laughs> counseling people. And he's saying all this manner of stuff of what he's going to do. You know, I was like, when you tell God, okay, you've delivered our life, let's see what you can do. But he had moved to West Texas, and well, West Texas, it does it to him. It's the water. So anyway, he came to her house, and he had a gun to his wife's head, and she was like shaking like crazy. He had driven her four hours like that. My dad walks in. He just goes, now, partner, you know, Jesus, and he just takes the gun out of his hand. I'm sitting there watching. Dad starts praying on him. No kidding. I guess God was trying to impress him. Nobody was touching him, but when he started praying, we have a couch, and we have a wooden thing. That guy was slamming his head in the back of that wooden thing. Wham, 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 wham. Dad's just praying. That guy's whamming his head. I'm like, I've, I've got a video of this stuff. I mean, this is amazing stuff. But what scared me out of my mind was my dad sat down with that lady. And he said, she looked, had a lot of grief on her. I'm like, well, she should have a lot of grief on her. Her husband drags her around with guns. <laughs> oh, no, no. He gets discernment. And I know when a man's missing it because it's crazy stuff. You know, give prophecy where nobody can tell when you're missing it. General, you know, nobody can tell. Don't give the specific stuff. That's crazy. Everybody gives general. My dad starts telling her, honey, I see that there was a time in your life where there was a casket and you were so overcome with grief that you crawled up inside that casket and you just held that person. I was like, oh my gosh. You know, sometimes you just wish you had a different set of parents. You know, you look at some of those Old Testament prophet kind of guys, and they're weird. And sometimes my dad, you know, I thought, I'm so full of doubt, I'm messing him up. He can't hear with me sitting here. I just went up, I went in my room, I started saying, have mercy on my father, please, because he has really got himself messed up. Well, she didn't give no indication. Next morning, they call, and the guy goes, man, he goes, that was incredible what happened to us last night. He goes, why did y'all slam my head so hard? <laughs> we were like, we didn't touch you. Okay, then this is what she said. She said, I was married before. How did he know that about my first husband? He had been killed in Vietnam, and the first time she saw his body was shipped home in a casket, and she had crawled inside. And she said, from that point, I had grief on me like I've never had before. I said, my dad hears the Lord. I knew he was hearing God. And man, I was right <laughs> You know, and you, it all started with a gun. Did you know the sheriff's department was going to make a major arrest on that? And they sent mom and dad a thank you note for stopping a major scene. You know what? I'm telling you with God, he likes to show himself spectacular. He likes to show. I mean, this verse here, if you'll take it literally, it says that he will show you things to come in the future. Unusual peace in your life. Unusual pleasure. You know, where we're smuggling Bibles, they're thinking, 
oh gosh, they're ripping it all to pieces. And you're sitting there trying to think, can I repack in front of them? You know, and, and you're watching the inspection. These European ladies are crying their makeup off because they're ripping everything apart. Not, and you're like, I don't have any clothing. I have all Bibles and seven cotton balls. I'm next in line. You get a prayer life then. We have 200 people we're trying to smuggle them across. We grab hands and we start singing, let the peace of God have preeminence. You know what? God will give you supernatural peace in situations. I'm not going to tell you what happens. You have to read the book. He'll give you supernatural power. And then you meet Dave and he, he's going to make a contract with the hospital. And he has all the CEOs there. And, it, and he's sitting there. And you know what? He, sh- he, should, he should have some kind of semblance of, of something that, that works well public. That Mexican food restaurant, I won't say it because I always mess up the name. They're all sitting there. They have their food and everything. Everybody started eating. He takes his fist and he slams it on the table. All their silverware shakes, their water's dipping over and everything. He goes, you heathenites, you need to pray before we eat. Oh, yeah. <laughs> with all the conscience. I was like, that's cool with college kids. But Lord, why in front of, you know what? All of them prayed. You know what? The minister of the hospital came to him and said, you know, I have a nephew and he's having problems and I want you to pray for him privately. I'm going to tell you, it's a, it's, a, it's a walk. I think the bolder you are, the better that it works. Where you go with God. You know, it says in Genesis 5.24, Enoch walked with God. And he was no more. He's the original gone with the wind. <laughs> God took him. You know, with God, you don't need a life jacket. Jake says you don't need a boat. You just can go strolling on the water. I'm going to end with this last thing. In Acts 2.17, it says in the last days, he said, I'm going to pour forth my spirit upon all mankind. Y'all have been having problems in the prison ministry. We've had some tear slip in of, man, they don't believe in the Trinity. They don't, you know, I'm, oh gosh, they, theologically they're in the cult books. And so I was meeting with this guy, Benson Sign, and Amanda, we spent three days with him, and he, the book on after Pentecost, what's happened in the last hundred years. And I was talking to him, and he said, hey, hey, he said, calm down. He said, they only make up 5%. And he looked at me and he said something I'll never forget. Seventy-something years of age. He said, quit wasting your time arguing with them. He said, you live in the last day. He said, you pray for every single person you can. He said, we're living in a time where God is pouring out his spirit. And so I'm going to say, I'm going to take his advice. We have a job to be done. You know, that's where Jesus said, go into all the world. And then he says, wait, stop. He said, wait for the power. That's why so many missionaries come home broken because they get into spiritual warfare and they didn't have the power they needed on their life. So I'm encouraging you. You called the mission field. You called the youth groups. God has the presence of the Holy Spirit. And you know how you get it? You get in your dorm room. You get by yourself. You get on your knees and you say, Lord, I want everything you've got. Amen.